0: O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in Merba, as on that day at Massa, in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation, and said, there are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways." Therefore, I swore my wrath, I shall, they shall not enter my rest. This is the reading of God's word.
1: Thank you for reading the passage. Let me, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just your continued love and faithfulness. We thank you that we have the privilege at your church to come together to worship you, to, to sing songs of praise, and to give glory to you. And Father, we pray. Um, That today, that as we delve into your word, as we think about what you have to say to us, we pray that you will convict us with your word, that you would encourage us with your word, you will bless us with your word, move in our hearts, and we pray that we will respond truly with faith and with worship, with glorious worship unto you, for you truly deserve all of our praise. We thank you, and in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Good to see you all here again today, and I hope you're having a blessed Sunday thus far. Thank you, Dan, for reading the passage for us, and uh, Psalm 95 is, you know, it's a fairly well-known passage, and it's it's a passage that talks about worship. That's obviously today's topic, and we're going to talk about worship today, and obviously worship is such an important topic, because what are we created to do? We are created to worship worship God. And I think about the Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I remember memorizing that when I was much younger, and you know, it's, it's important for us to remember that, that our chief end, our chief purpose is to glorify God, to enjoy Him, to worship Him. And all of us, obviously, are created to be worshipers. And I'm sure you've Probably heard this many times, but all of us we are worshipers, so either we're going to be worshiping God or we're going to be worshiping something or someone else, but we will be worshiping. So, today I want to think a little bit more about you know worship, obviously, more specifically, worship of God, uh, our God, you know. And uh, really, three points today you know, it's pretty straightforward, also, I think it's pretty pretty logical. But it's what is worship, why do we worship. And how do we worship, right? So what, why, how? What is worship? How do we, uh, why do we worship? And how, how, how can we, how should we, how do we worship? So starting with the what is worship, I want to actually look at the chapter right after uh, the chapter that we just read, 95. 96, I actually like uh, the way the psalmist writes here. In verse 7 and 8, uh, he writes, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. I like the way he puts it. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. And, And really, what is the psalmist saying? He's saying, ascribe to the Lord the glory and the strength due to his name. What does that mean? It's saying, God, you are who you are. And who you are is deserving of glory and praise. And I'm here to give it to you, right? So God, you are who you are. God is God. And you, who you are, you deserve praise. You deserve worship. And I'm here to give it to you. Another way of putting that would be like this. Worship of God is seeing. It is seeing and being affected by what God is worth and response, giving him all that he is worth, right? So worship is seeing and being affected by what God is worth and in response, giving him all that he is worth. Our worship responds with all that we are to all that God is, right? It's offering our whole selves, our minds, emotions, our will in obedience service, motivated by the beauty of who God is. It's a seeing how amazing, how wonderful, how awesome, how beautiful our God is, right, what he is worth, how amazing he is, and how do I respond to that? I respond to that beauty, to that worth, to that amazingness of who God is by giving him all that he is worth. And I think this is something that we do, you know, even outside of God, we tend to do this kind of worship, right? When something is glorious to us, when something is worthy to us, when something is good to us, it affects us, and we risk respond to it. I uh, heard an example a pastor gave. uh, I don't know if it's a true story or not, but the way he said it was he was talking about a woman who had a a piece of jewelry that had been passed on to her by her mother. And she didn't think it was worth much, so she treated it as such. You know, didn't sometimes know where it was, didn't take good care of it. One day she decides to have this piece of jewelry appraised. And the jeweler is amazed by how amazing this piece of jewelry is, and it's worth a lot of money. Of course, he tells this lady about this, that what you have in your possession is worth so much money. It is so valuable. It's so rare. And so then what happens? The way this woman treats that piece of jewelry, it's it's different now. When she thought it was worth nothing, she treated it like nothing. Now that she knows it's valuable, now that she knows it's expensive, now that she knows it's rare and it's important, again, what happens? The way she treats it, it completely changes, right? Or if you think about, you know, let's say you invested in a stock and, you know, it wasn't worth that much and all of a sudden you find that it is just going up and up and up and so you get blown away by that and so now you feel different towards that stock, right? You feel different. There's more investment. Same thing with a piece of real estate. You buy something and all of a sudden it skyrockets in value. Again, the way you want to invest, the way you treat it, the way you think about it, the way you talk about it, everything changes. And I was talking to some teenagers once about, about actually Taylor Swift. They were big Taylor Swift fans. And so I asked them a question. I said, how would you feel if you just ran into her one day? How would you feel if you met her? And their response, the teenagers were like, oh my gosh, right? I would be so blown away. They would be so excited, right? They said, you know, know, they'll get excited. They might scream. They might cry. The point is, when you see somebody that you think is so important, what happens? There's a response. And so even in life, when we have things that are valuable, things that we like, things that have worth and value, high value, it affects us. And we respond to it, and we treat it a certain way. And now, we're talking about worship of God. Obviously, this isn't a high value. This is ultimate value. And we're saying worship of God is seeing his beauty, seeing his worth, and being affected by how beautiful, how worthy, how amazing he is. And then in response, giving him all that he is worth. And when we read the Bible, I think when we think of worship, there's an individual sense of that, where obviously, you know, you can privately set a time, set aside time to worship God. But also, the Bible, you know, it speaks to worship of God in all of life. Right? Romans 12:1 talks about how, right, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God. And it calls it our spiritual worship. We think of 1 Corinthians 10:31. Talks about whether you eat or drink whatever you do again do it off with the glory of god and so there is an individual sense of worship where obviously i set aside time to worship god whether as i commune with him as a given glory but also just the way i live my life it is worship but also in the bible we see a sense of coming together to worship god corporate worship and in this passage today if you just look at the passage We see the sense of corporate worship where it says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. A little bit later, again, in verse 6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And what are we seeing here in this passage? It's worship. And as we talked about, you know, the, psalmist is, the way the psalmist is describing this, the psalmist is seeing, right, the glory of God, the beauty of God. He's amazed by that. And so there's a sense of wonder about God, and obviously he's affected by the worth of God, by the beauty of God. And now there's a response, and the response is worship, except this worship isn't an individual, solitary thing. It is a communal thing. It's corporate. Oh, come. Right? It's an invitation, right? It's a call to worship that we have every Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. It's a call to worship and it's saying, let us together corporately sing to the Lord. let us together make a joyful noise and shout to the rock of our salvation. Let us together, right, be thankful and make a joyful noise. Let us together bow down and kneel, right? Worship him. There's a sense of where we're using all that we have to respond to God in worship and we're doing it corporately. I think that's important. I want to actually highlight that a little bit, that it's important on Sundays, you know, that we do really make it a priority to come together, right? On you know, to say, you know what, this isn't number two, number three, number ten in my life. It is it's an important priority. I want to come together with the body of Christ corporately, coming together with the call to worship making a joyful noise to God together, seeing how much he is worth together, and then responding to that with singing, with joyful noise, right, with worship. And so what is worship, right? It's, it's ascribing to him, it's seeing what he is worth, and then responding to that with all that we have, all that we are, our minds, our emotions, our will. But then, if that is worship, well, why? Why do we worship? And we see, there's a lot of answers to that question, but at least in this passage, we see some some examples here. If you look at verse 3, the psalmist says, For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. So the psalmist starts by saying, look, why do we worship? Because God is great. Because God is a great king above all God. That doesn't mean that, you know, the psalmist believes a lot of gods. He's just saying God is great. Obviously, He's the only God. He is worthy of our praise. And it just starts there, us knowing He is great. He deserves all the glory, He deserves all the praise. And then, verse 4 in His hand are the depths of of the earth the heights of the mountains are his also the sea is his for he made it his hands formed the dry land i worship him for he is great he deserves the praise the glory but also he's the creator he created the seas he created the mountains or he created the depths of the earth he created me He created you. He created everything. He created all of us. He created everything that we see. He created the stars in the sky. He created the universe. And it is all in His hands. He is sovereign. He is God. He is great. And so sometimes for me, you know, especially when I go out of nature and I see just just the stars and how beautiful it is and I just, you know, Think about the constellations. And I just think about how God created all this. But how do I not worship him? I remember going to you know, Niagara Falls you know, when, I was, you know, when I was a child and even seeing how just glorious that was. And just worship. You know When you see just how beautiful nature is. But then when you even see, study the human body a little bit and see how intricate our bodies are, you just can't help but to sing praises to him because he is great. And he is our creator. He is our sovereign God who is in control. But then he gives another reason. Verse 6, he says, "Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And then he says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And when you read that, you realize not only is our God great, Not only is he the creator that created everything, not only is he all-powerful God, sovereign God with everything in his hands, he's our God. He's my God. He's your God. If you are a child of God, right, it's personal. He is our God. We are the sheep of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. And as soon as you hear that, at least for me, I'm reminded of Psalm 23, where the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I would like nothing in my life, for God is with me. The second I hear that, I think about how he feeds me, how he feeds his people. I think about how he guides, he leads his people. I think about how he protects his people, how he will always be with his sheep for all eternity. We're in his hands. He cares for us. And then I can't help but to think of John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd, he knows his sheep. where the sheep know his voice. We are in his care. But also, then I can't help but to remember how the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. But right? Jesus talks about that. He says, no one takes it from me. But the good shepherd willingly lays down his life for his sheep, for us. Because he knows. We. We are sheep that have gone astray. We are sinners. We are disobedient. Our future without Christ is condemnation, it's death, is hell. There is no hope for us. And yet, the good shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep. He is our redeemer. He is our savior. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And so we see just in this passage multiple reasons why we worship God. Because he is great, deserving our praise. Because he is the creator, he is sovereign, he is in control, he is all-powerful, but also because of his love, because he is the good shepherd, he is the redeemer, he is the savior who went to the cross, who died willingly for the sake of his people. So I look at this passage and I say, what is worship? Why do we worship? But then lastly, how? How do I worship? If, if worship is seeing how much he's worth and responding to him, and if I do that because of the reasons we've outlined, and I think about how he is my good shepherd, and I'm just moved by that, well, how, how do I worship? And again, the passage talks about it. It starts in verse 1 and 2 with exuberant joy. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And so there's a place for thanksgiving, for joy, for joyful praise, exuberant joy. And we should. How can we not be joyful? How can we not be thankful when we know the gospel, when we know who Christ is, when we know what our God has done for us? How can we not respond? with exuberance, with joy, with thanksgiving. We should shout, make joyful noise. We should sing songs to him. Excuse me. And these are all good things. It's part of worship, that exuberance, that joy. But then, if you look at verse 6, it's not just exuberance and joy. The psalmist says, "Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And in some sense, really, verse six, you can almost say, let us bow down, bow down, let us bow down, right? And and, and it's not that exuberant joy and thanksgiving anymore. Now, it's humility, it's reverence. So there's a place in my worship of God for yes, that exuberance, that thankfulness, that joy, the shouting, the singing, but there's also a place, right? To worship, to bow down. I think literally means to lie prostrate on the floor just worshiping him. It's reverence. It's humility. It's submitting to God, saying, I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to bow down before your authority, saying, you are in charge of my life, and I'll bow before you, for you are my God. So there's joyful exuberance. There's this reverent, humble awe before the Lord. And you know, when we sing songs of praise, we see that. There are songs like How great is our God, you're worthy of my praise, where there's this exuberance, right? There's this joy. And then we have songs saying, I offer my life to you, where I surrender all, where we fall down, we lay our crowns, and this idea again of the humility, the reverence as we kneel before the Lord in obedience, in submission. But then it's not the you know how do we worship, it's not just the exuberant joy, and it's not just the reverent, humble awe. You know, we we actually it talks about the word of God. If you look at verse seven, it actually there's a kind of a shift in the passage. It says, For he is our God with the people of his passion, the sheep of his hand. We read that before. And then he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Then he says, for 40 years I loathed a generation and said there are people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And honestly, it almost doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the passage. It's a warning. And you're thinking, what happened? We went from shout for joy and sang for joy, right? And like, let us, you know, kneel before the Lord. And, you know, and all of a sudden, we have this warning. What's going on? And what the psalmist is alluding to is how the Israelites in the desert, in the wilderness, right, on their way from, you know, from Egypt to the promised land, you know, they were disobedient. Meribah, Master examples of places of disobedience. And he's saying, You're fine. they put me to the test. And then what we know is that that first generation that came out of the exodus that were delivered from the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, outside of a couple of of exceptions, most of that generation did not make it to the Promised Land, Moses included. They were not allowed to enter the Promised Land. It was the generation after that got into the Promised Land because of their disobedience. And as we read that passage, what we're being reminded of is this. Worship is not just joyful singing, and it's not just kneeling. Worship includes hearing His voice, listening to Him, and then obviously obeying Him right? with humble obedience. Worship means I listen with humility, with anticipation to the Word of God, to hear His voice. And worship also means I respond to His Word with obedience why because he is my god and if you think about a worship service like liturgy <clears throat> excuse me it kind of follows this kind of structure right there's a reason for that right when you come into a worship service what do we we start with usually with praise there's a call to worship come there's praise and typically the songs start with joyfulness celebration thanksgiving as the worship progresses there's you see a time of confession Right time of maybe offering, the songs become a little bit more time of you know, submitting, the reverence, and then it goes into a time of the Word, right, where we hear the Word of God being preached, and then we usually end the service with a response to that Word. Right? and the liturgy, obviously, there's a reason for that. We're following the Bible, really, but that's what we're called to do. How do we worship? We can be joyful we can celebrate be thankful we come with humility and reverence before the lord submitting to his authority we listen to his word we obey his word and we worship and when we look at this passage you know hebrews chapter 3 and 4 actually there's a lot of commentary on this passage and we're reminded there that this rest that God is talking about here. I'm talking about the promised land in the Old Testament, but you know I'm not going to go too into it, but in Hebrews, God makes it clear that there is a rest, a Sabbath rest, for the people of God in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, that in Christ, we will enter his rest. And it's a great thing, because when I think about the Old Testament, when I think about the Exodus, I think about this first generation, yes, because of that disobedience, they couldn't get into the promised land. And for us, because of our disobedience, our sinfulness, we also shouldn't get into any kind of rest. But what we know is that our Savior, that our Good Shepherd, right, He took the punishment that we deserve. He suffered on our behalf so that when we trust in Christ and when we worship him and he becomes my Lord and my Savior, we in Christ can now truly enter the Sabbath rest. So my encouragement, my hope, my prayer this afternoon is this, that we, as we look at how amazing God is, as we think about the gospel, as we think about our good shepherd, as we think about That's how truly blessed we are that we respond with worship, that we see his beauty, we respond, we think about the many reasons for that worship, and we worship with joyfulness, we worship with awe, and we worship with obedience to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, and we praise you for your good. Father, we are called to worship and so often we don't worship because, at least we don't worship you because we're distracted by the things of the world. But Father, we pray that as we look to you and as we look at how good, how glorious, how beautiful you are, that we would just be in awe of you and we would truly worship you with all that we are and all that we have. We thank you and we praise you. And in Jesus' name we pray.